As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome, 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 everybody. How are we doing? This is the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Sean Gentilly. I'm here with, I believe, the only other person on staff who is not in Sweden, superstar Jesse Granger. How are we doing, buddy? What's new? I'm also, by the way, I'm coming at you from a hotel room in lovely Raleigh, North Carolina, where I sat down uh, probably six minutes ago. So we'll see how this goes. But Jess, what's up, bud? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm. I've had an easier morning than you have. Um, I'm just <laughs> hanging out in Vegas. Uh, Golden Knights are on one of their longest trips of the season. I am not on this trip. I'm hanging out at home. I had some coffee, uh, ready to help you out in this one since you just got off a plane. You're a good dude. If people all people are always like, "What's Jesse like in real life?" I say he's a good guy. Um, we do have guests. We brought friends. One of those writers who is in Sweden is Ian Mendez. Uh, who, who's there primarily for the Ottawa Senators, of course, but Ian's all over the place. You you folks know him well. He needs no introduction. And neither does Sean McIndoo, who is not in Sweden. I assume he's in Ottawa or wherever. He'll be joining us later on. But before we get to that, we're going to do a quick little lap. Jesse, I know, look, you see a lot of the Anaheim Ducks. You see more Pacific Division hockey than me. You see more West Coast hockey than me, even though I try to watch as much as possible. They are. A machine? Is it fair to call them that? I don't know. They're, they're a fun factory. Maybe that's probably the best way to put it. Six third period comeback wins this season. They've only played 15 games. They had another one last night. John Gibson doing his thing. Goaltending has been a big part of what they've managed to do so far. But, you know, there's there's been plenty of other fun stuff happening too, right? And I, I, know, you've, I know you've seen a good bit of this firsthand. So what are we thinking of the Ducks? You know, is it sustainable? How much fun are we having? And, and uh, what's what's your big takeaway through, you know, again, six third period comebacks for them so far? Yeah, like you said, they've been exciting. Last night's game was really good. The the Ducks-Predators game. Um, it was a goaltending duel between Saros and Gibson, two of the best in the league. Early on, Saros was unbeatable. Like, I thought the Ducks were actually, it's weird because they they fell down 2 nothing, 
and then they come back mm-hmm. to win 3-2. You say, oh, they were they were a terrible start, and then they, they they I thought they were good from start to finish, and just early on, they just couldn't beat UC Saros. Um, he had a couple really nice saves on, on like odd man rushes where he slid across to get a pad on a shot. Um, and Gibson was good again. He's been good all year. And like mm-hmm. you look at all these third period comebacks and yes, it's the scoring and Anaheim, their young players, Matavish and, and all these guys are finally starting to come in their own. And that's part of why they have these comebacks um, is you've got some some high octane young players that can put the puck in the net. But to me, the biggest reason they have six third period comebacks is because John Gibson and Lucas Dostal, their, their backup goalie, have both been so good to hold them in games and give them a chance. They, they come back from down to nothing last night. They did it. I watched them do it against the golden Knights. They gave the golden Knights their first regulation loss of the season mm-hmm. coming back from down to nothing in the third period. And that's just because Gibson's good enough to hold them in games early when maybe they aren't at their best. And then eventually those young kids get going and, and maybe, maybe the youth in Anaheim is, is part of the reason they're so good late in games. They're, they're wearing teams out with their speed and, and they're able to get some goals late. Um, I don't know how serious this team is in terms of like being a contender, but they're for sure better than we thought they were going to be. And obviously last year it was a disaster in Anaheim. So they had nowhere to go, but up, but they're playing more structured. Um, they Cronin has them playing more structured and it's helping the goalies back there and, and they have really good ones. So they've looked good. I, I like Anaheim a lot. I think John Gibson's having the kind of season that we all wanted him to have and the kind of, the kind of season he frankly needed to have, right? He's got the rep as an elite goaltender. He's certainly done it in the past. He's paid like an elite goaltender. I think what we're seeing from him is, uh, is a return to form that was definitely uh, necessary from coming to the season. Look at, at Pittsburgh legend, Johnny Gibson, Whitehall, Whitehall, Pennsylvania. My aunt taught him in elementary school. Like nobody's rooting harder for that kid than me. Right. But he needed to have, a good, uh, a, a good run here. He's, I think, sixth in the league and goal saved above expected. Dostal is in the discussion there, too. They're both above water there. So, yeah, it, it you know, begins and ends uh, for Anaheim with goaltending, which is fine. It counts, and it's fun. Like we, We're still at that point in the season, I think, where we don't need to worry just how sustainable this is, right? Let's enjoy the ride. Let's, you know, watch some fun hockey and, and watch, some, watch some surprise teams and uh, take what we can from it, right? The time to, you know pop the balloons will be will be a little bit later okay next what we have to hit on Sidney Crosby another Pittsburgh legend for a different reason hat trick for the Penguins last night they've put together five straight wins uh I think the dam's broken for them in a pretty real way uh and I'm not surprised to see that it happened you know there was the start of the season was ugly for them but they were also doing a lot of positive things five on five the process was there I think what we're seeing there is uh is is the results catching up to that? And cert, certainly in Crosby's case, I, I'm I'm like mainlining Sidney Crosby stats here, right? Because because of course I'm force fed them every day because I'm I'm based in Pittsburgh. At 36, this is for my buddy Chris Muller, who's a radio host in Pittsburgh. Sidney Crosby, age 36, first 14 games of the season, 10 goals, nine assists, 19 points. 26 years old, eight goals, 14 assists, 22 points. So he's having a start that's on par with the season that heretofore has been treated as like Pete Crosby. Right. And it's been, it's been fun to watch. And uh, you know, that's a, that's another one. I, I think, I think if Sidney Crosby's clicking and if, if the Penguins are relevant, you know, it's, it's more good than not for the league at large. Yeah. I mean, and he was so good last night. I got to watch uh, quite a bit of that game. 
And he has the hat trick. And the, I mean, the, the Penguins needed every bit of it. I thought it was Absolutely. the Sidney Crosby show uh, like all night long, not just the three goals. Obviously, one's an empty netter. And sometimes you can have a hat trick and it's like the rest of the game wasn't all that great. You just happened the puck found you in the right spots. That wasn't the case last night. He was so good. I mean, he had even Gensel's goal, the, the goal Crosby didn't score. Um, and, and obviously the Carlson power play, but the, the Gensel goal at even strength, he, he, Crosby had an incredible backhand pass to, um, I believe it was Latang driving the net. He couldn't get his stick on it. Crosby, what does mm-hmm. he do? He just circles around, goes, gets the puck from the pass, his great pass that was missed and feeds Gensel and he scores in front of the net. Like, and then he had that great tip to, to put pink, the penguins up late. He's, he's unbelievable. I mean, he's such a good player. Like it's, he looked, you, you mentioned like the stats are the same as when he was young. Mm-hmm. He looks the same as when he was young. Like it, it doesn't look any different out there. He's doing the same things. He's unstoppable. As long as his helmet's on, then he looks right. older. If you see the gray and I'm coming at this from a similar, coming at this from a similar angle, as Sidney Crosby as someone, someone whose hair is like graying more by the day. Like other than that, the dude looks like it's, you know, 2011 again. It's fun. We're yep. having fun. All right, one more thing before we get to Mendez, because I'm, I'm sure he's waiting in the wings somewhere. And of course, we're going to hit on this, right? We have two American hockey writers, RIP Tuesday boys. I'd rather talk to Jesse about this than Craig. That's for sure. Three U.S. <laughs> born snipers uh, on top of the goal charts. We got Austin Matthews. We got Brock Besser. We got Kyle Connor. Jess, you're a Kyle Connor believer, right? Is is that is is that is that fair to say? And I, I think he is and got God love Brock Besser and, and, and Austin Matthews, but I think we want to focus on Kyle Connor here for a second, right? Yeah, I mean they've all three had unbelievable starts, but I feel like we've now reached the point where we need to start talking about Kyle Connor more. Um he I think he's the most underrated player in the league. And usually that idol goes to guys who are do good things that aren't on the stat sheet, right? Like Barkov was the, was the, the stereotypical, like most underrated player (laughs) for a million years to the point where, okay, we can't call him underrated anymore. We call him that so much that he's correctly rated, but I feel like that title doesn't go to goal scorers very often because usually if you score goals, you're, you get a bunch of credit, but for whatever reason, we don't talk about Kyle Connor in the same light as the guys he scores goals with. I mean, he since 2017-18, his first full season, he's got 220 goals in the NHL. That's sixth in the league. He has more goals in that span than Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Steven Stamkos, Braden Point. This guy puts the puck in the net at mm-hmm. an incredible rate. His release is disgusting. Um, he scored a couple goals last night. He's he's unreal. I feel like we don't give Kyle Connor the credit he deserves as as an elite goal scorer. Like he's right up there with the best goal scorers in the NHL. Absolutely. This is the kind of season I think from him that a lot of people, <laughs> maybe just me, expected him to have last year, right? Like it's, a, it's, it's building upon, I think to some extent, what we've seen from him uh, over the course of his career thus far. Cause he is, I, I think for a while he got that rep and Jess, I, you alluded to this in a lot of ways. He got a rep as being empty calories, right? Like he, he gives you right. goal scoring and like not a lot of substance in terms of play driving, not very, very little defensively. That rep was deserved, but coming into la- until the season before last, basically, and d- during the 21-22 season, he showed a lot more. He, sh- he looked like a more re- more well-rounded, a more complete, a more interesting hockey player, frankly, and then he regressed a bit last year. So what we're seeing now from him, I think, is he's picking up where he left off back in 2022. It's a blast to see, right? Me and Dom always joke about how he's like this generation's Phil Kessel for for good or bad. And that's 95% a compliment. And we've seen that kind of bear out uh, this far this season. So dap up Kyle Connor. 
he's been he's been he's been great. Right. And to go along with your point early on, like the U.S. taking over with three goal scorers. Man, do we need a best on best tournament right now, specifically at this very moment, right? I mean, we've got Matthews, Besser, and Connor scoring the most goals in the league. Look at the goalies that that the U.S. could throw out. We just talked about how awesome John, John Gibson is. Is he the fourth best goalie for the U.S. right now? Like, he's not even the emergency backup goalie. I think he, Thatcher, Dem, Thatcher Demko is on another level right now. I think he's the best goalie in the league so far this season. He's been phenomenal. Jake Ottinger is a Vezina candidate, Vezina favorite. Um, you've got uh, Hellebuck up in Winnipeg is unreal. <laughs> and like Gibson is the fourth best guy. Like Connor Hellebuck's their third guy coming off the bench and Canada doesn't have very Scary. many goalies. Scary. I'm telling you, man, U.S. hockey is as good as it's looked in a long this is time. Like, this is like once every month. We got to just wind it up and start talking about the need for a best on best tournament. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like it's fail proof. It's evergreen stuff because it's true. It needs to happen. And whenever there is a best on best tournament, it's going to be me and you and Max Boltman and a couple other folks versus a squad led by the gentleman we're about to bring in right now. It's our buddy Ian Mendez, who is live in Sweden. He's live in Sweden. Right there he is. Live in, live in Sweden. Guy. 841. I was PM. just about I was just about to say, bud, you're gonna have to tell me what time it is because I don't think I can do that level of math at, at this point. 841 in Sweden. Ian Mendez, how we doing? Eight eight forty one. It's been and I'm, this is not an exaggeration. <laughs> it's been dark here for five hours. It was about three thirty, the sun the sun sets. Is it gonna get like yeah. yeah, okay. So I guess theoretically we're closing in on like the actual winter solstice, right? So it's gonna and you're there for God knows how long. Seven days, five days. How long are you there? Yeah, six six days in total. Yeah. So it's only going to continue getting worse. It's going to get darker earlier and early and earlier. So by the time you leave, dude, it's going to be like dark at dark when you're eating lunch. Yikes! It's it's wild, and you know what? And I think you know, in talking to some, like I talked to uh, to John Tavares last mm-hmm. night, Brady Kachuk today. The time, the jet lag, it's a real factor. Like like guys are waking up at three in the morning and they're wide awake and they're having a hard time going back to bed. So I'm curious what this first game is going to look like Detroit and Ottawa on Thursday, two teams, Eastern time zone. It's a six hour difference. You've only really had two days to acclimate to this and you're playing the game here, 8 PM local time. So it's, it's going to be really interesting on Thursday. Totally. And and you're, and you're there. You got there yesterday. Is that right? I got there yesterday. Yeah. See, you you have a few days to adjust to what to what's going on at least and you have a few days to hang out i know you were at the boria salming uh premiere right of 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 the documentary about him i guess i guess i guess that was yesterday let's let's go let's go through that because that seemed like it was it was a it was a quite a quite quite a scene yeah it's pretty cool like and, and what's funny is that there was a whole bunch of celebrities that i had no idea who they were but all the swedish media we're talking about 30 television cameras they're clamoring over them they're shooting uh, you know, still f- photos of them, videos, interviews. And later on, like I asked Eric Brandstrom today about it. And he was like, these are the biggest stars in Sweden. <laughs> like, he's like, these are my favorite actors. And I'm like, I have no idea. It, did we have any, were any, were, do we have any SARS guards? Were there any SARS guards in the, yeah. in the building? Right. Like, yeah. I, I'm, so, I, but, but what was cool is the one celebrity I did recognize. I'm like, that's Jason Priestley <laughs> from 90210 fame. So I call him over from the red carpet. And by the way, confirmed athletic subscriber jason Priestley, because he was yeah, on our podcast we had him on on wednesday a while back yeah that. and 
And uh, he was legit. He was like, oh, yeah, The Athletic. I'm a subscriber. I read uh, I read all the stuff. And and he plays. He's he's in this Borja Salming kind of uh, miniseries. He mm-hmm. plays the role of a guy named Jerry McNamara, who ended up being the Leafs general manager. But I, I just pulled him aside to chat about that. But it was really cool, guys, because you watch the red carpet and Nick Lidstrom goes by and Matt Sundin goes by. And then, you know, some of the current players, like Willie Nylander went by. It was really cool. And. And the train station here in downtown uh, Stockholm has this giant Borea Salming jersey, sweater kind of thing, hanging from the middle. So you can really feel it here in Stockholm, at least when it comes to the Salming stuff. I think there's a real excitement uh, here in this market for for these NHL games. And, um, and and I think the games are pretty much sold out from what I gather, all four. And, and I think this is the first time this has ever happened where you get four games with four different teams on back-to-back-to-back-to-back days. So this is something new that they're trying, but there's clearly the appetite for it, I think, here in Stockholm. In terms of the actual games, like the, the hockey out there, how how big are these games for these teams? Because like you mentioned, they're all playing with this weird jet lag. Who knows what like what level of performance we're going to get for them? And, and you mentioned in your piece, like all four of these teams are kind of right on a low going into this. And, and it feels like maybe just the whole experience of going to Sweden, if you can get a win, feel good about yourself, this feels like a get-right situation for potentially any of the four. Yeah, and I, I think it's true, right? Because I think if you look at the... If you asked right now, obviously, what happened in Edmonton, Jay Woodcroft is gone. But if you ask most people, like, who are sitting... Like, who are the coaches sitting on the hottest seats right now in the NHL? I think you can certainly make an argument for DJ Smith in Ottawa. I mm-hmm. think you can make a, a case for Dean Evison in Minnesota. And I... I think Sheldon Keefe is okay, but things aren't going great in Toronto, right? Like they just seem pretty mid for a team that's been a, 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 a like a legit Stanley Cup contender, or at least played at 100, 110 point pace the last few years. So those three teams are all coming in here, I think, with some degree of of, of, of baggage or pressure. And then Detroit has really cooled off. Like they've mm-hmm. lost six of their last nine. So they're they were like unbeatable the first two weeks of the season. They've regressed. I, I think, you know what, the most, the classic outcome is that everybody splits these games and you, you leave Sweden, you're like, nah, I didn't really learn anything about these teams. But I'll tell you, I think every team, and I put Ottawa and Minnesota at the top, and I, then I put Toronto and Detroit, in terms of like who's got the most pressure on them, mm-hmm. I almost think Minnesota and Ottawa are neck and neck, Toronto a, 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 a smidge behind, and then Detroit, but they're all feeling some degree of pressure here in these these four games. And I think that's why, I don't know where you guys come down on, on this one, but I think if it were up to me, if I was a player, I'd rather start the season in October oh. here because, you know, you get like a training camp and you get four or five. It's like a quasi training camp. When you come here in the middle of the season, like it, there's, it's these games matter. Like there's pressure to it. You can't just, you know, have some fun and, and ah, if we lose two, it's okay. It's only the first two games of the season. There's some pressure. I, I think I'd rather come in October and do this than in the middle of November. Minnesota is a tough watch right now. I don't know yeah. if you got how much of them you've caught you, you two over, over the last couple of weeks. They're brutal. And look, this is never to some extent that's to be expected. Like, right. The wild aren't known as, you know, a franchise that has high flying offensive hockey or, or a ton of talent, whatever, like, but things were a supposed to be a little bit different because of, you know, I, I know Matt Boldy's hurt, but uh, because of this influx of talent that, that they've had, and just just in, in general, the expectations were so much higher. They are painful, painful, painful watch right now. Yeah, it's, and, and you know, and, and, and we have both Mike Russo and uh, 
uh, Joe Smith here. I actually got to take the uh, uh, Russo and I decided we took the subway to the oh, uh, to the arena today. So it was it was uh, we didn't get lost. We 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 navigated the uh, Stockholm uh, train system flawlessly. But just in in talking to him, you can sense that yeah, there, there's a ton of pressure on Minnesota because uh-huh. I the way I look at it too, like. I don't like even if everything goes well for them, they're not in the Vegas uh, and whoever else you want to put in that stratosphere, nope. Dallas or whoever else, Colorado, Colorado whoever yeah. you think is in that stratosphere, M- Minnesota's not there. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, there's an argument to be made that you know instead of fighting and clawing and just trying to get into a wild card spot, like I, you can make an argument that you know having a bad quote unquote off year isn't the worst thing for them. Mm-hmm. But but that's a market that like Russo was telling me like they've only what is it they won two playoff rounds in twenty years and they were in back to back years and I think he said fourteen and fifteen so they're just a little bit better than Buffalo Buffalo has gotten they've obviously gotten to the playoffs in Minnesota mm-hmm. but they haven't really done anything there in twenty years mm-hmm. so you got a hockey mad market a smart hockey market and I think patience is kind of at a tipping point there, right? Absolutely. But, but I, I, I see the argument for kind of bottoming out a little bit if you're if you're the that, wild. That fan base, and I've I learned this more and more each week, right? Whenever whether it's a power rankings thing, like what what whatever, whatever it is, that fan base is and it's it's and I should say also it's anecdotal because we have the Russo army, you know, coming come coming out strong in, in the in the comments and whatever else here. That fan base seems fed up. They seem tired of it, yeah. and I can't blame them, man. Two playoff wins in 20 years. You're talking about early era Marion Gabarik, right? Whenever they were at, at their most relevant in terms of in terms of playoff contention, this is it, it's crazy. It's crazy. So every time I hear from some, you know, Rage Ball Wild fan, I'm like, I get it. I get it. Like they are at the top of the list of fans that write of fan bases that rightfully should just be at the end of the rope with this stuff. Cause it, it is, it's, it's every, every year it's, it's, uh, it's, it's similar, <laughs> similar result with a slightly different path. So I, I don't, I don't plan for being pissed cause it's, it's, it's tough to watch as a spectator. It's almost more frustrating for them than it is mm-hmm. for like Sabres fans who have just been bad. Right. Because there's mm-hmm. no expectation, right. Uh, to quote, uh, Ted Lasso, the hope it's the hope that kills you, right? Like Minnesota has hope at least. Yeah. Whereas like if your team is terrible every year, at least it's like, you can just kind of put it to the back. Like, okay, I'm not worried about it. Minnesota's just good enough to give you hope. And they Kaprizov. And like you said, it felt like it felt like they were turning into a different type of team than they had been for all those mm-hmm. years where they were, they play blo- boring hockey. They win two to one. They like, it seemed like based on personnel and the way they played last year, they were finally breaking out of that. And they were a team that actually does have the potential to, to play with the elite teams. And the goaltending was so good last year with Gustafson. And it just felt like they were gr- going in the right direction. And obviously it's only not even a quarter of the season. They still have plenty of time to turn things around, but it has not been at all what we expected. And they yeah, still and, and and they, they still don't have a center. They still don't have a center. Like that's that's it. That's been like going on for two one, decades. It's right? crazy. Like, they're 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 they need one center. They need two centers. It, it's always it's that's always their thing. Don't, don't they kind of remind you a little bit of Calgary in terms of like you just don't know where the program's going and they're just kind of they're stuck in that middle spot where you can make a case that if everything goes right for them, they're a playoff team. But even when they're a playoff team, they're not a heavyweight, and mm-hmm. you're just caught in an awkward. 
spot with with like Calgary. I think it's the same thing. It's been like 20, 20 ish years, right? The, the uh, end result for them, the end result for them is that they're like a mid table team, but the way they get there, the level of volatility that they bring on a, on a week to week, like to, this, this goes back a, a couple years. Last year was unbelievable. The, the roller coaster that team was on over the course of the entire season, right? It was, they would go two weeks and look like they were maybe whatever top three team in the league. And then they would spend the next 10 days looking like, you know, they were, they were on the wrong side of the playoff bubble. It's wild. And it's just carried over. And I mean, they're, we're, we're getting more, more bad than good from them so far for sure. Yeah, no, it's uh it's, it, it is remarkable. And that's why I think these games are going to be really interesting because they're in November and we're reaching that, the, the classic American Thanksgiving benchmark, mm-hmm. right? Like we're, we're getting there and we're going to get some answers on these teams. I think in Minnesota and, and Ottawa in particular here this week, definitely. Got to ask about Ottawa. I know you and I talked for whatever reason at the start of the season <laughs> yeah. uh, about 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 the DJ Smith situation. <laughs> yeah, it, this was you know it was coach it was coaching hot seat stuff, right? So I, I just you know reached out to you, of course, because you you on a day to day basis pretty closely covered covered the team who who had the guy that was at the top of the of the uh, of, of the odds list there. Ironically here we are in Sweden, which is when you told me like, this is the kind of the, in, the, the, the dividing line. If, yeah. if they were, if they were going to make a change, this is when it would, it would make sense to do it. Obviously we know what happened with, with it, with Pierre Dorian, somewhat, somewhat unexpectedly gets the gate, uh, but beforehand, but over the last, you know, I don't know, over the last week, 10 days, as we're coming into this trip, like what is the status here? Has, have things changed? I know it seemed about as bad as it could get, Whenever Brady's, you know, he's mad at the fans and, and and this and that. That's 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 two weeks in the rear view now. Has anything changed? Are they in a better spot, worse spot? What's where are we going with this? Well, they're exactly in that awkward spot. They're six and seven, and I think the fifteen game mark is a good time to take a stock of what this team is. So at the end of these these two games in in Sweden, they'll have played fifteen games. Now, best case scenario, guys, they're going to be eight and seven. And you could you could make an argument, okay, eight and seven, you're still pretty average, but at least eight and seven is better than you know six and nine or, or or seven and eight or whatever. But the thing everybody's looking at is when they come home from Sweden, they have six days off, like kind of six mm-hmm. days between games. Like they play Saturday here in Stockholm against Minnesota, then they don't play again until Friday night at home against the Islanders. And people are saying, if 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 you're going to make a change, that's the time to do it. Um, so. I think there is pressure, though. There, there's pressure on, on the Senators to win. They've all backed. Look, Steve Steos and Brady Kachuk, Claude Giroud, everybody who, whose voice matters mm-hmm. has all either, and this isn't just publicly backing, this is privately as well, backing the coach. But at some point, you got to win. And I, I almost think that this is on the players now. Like, you came out mm-hmm. with some strong statements about, we're going to win, we, we don't want to hear the noise about the coach. Okay, fine, you don't want to hear the noise, but the fans are tired of the losing. And you got to back it up. And I think these two games in Sweden, if they back it up and they back up DJ Smith, I think he stays and there's no problems. If they lose these two games, then I think it's open to interpretation of, of, of what they want their season to be. I love what you wrote about Brady Kachuk too, by the way, that was a, seemed like one that you'd worked on for a little bit, just a, a, a feature on, you know, how he's kind of woven himself into this, into the city of, uh, of Ottawa and, and, and what his plans are moving forward. I, I thought that was, I, th- I thought that was really well done. How long, how long was that in the works, right? Yeah. Irony of ironies was, you know, Kachuk makes those, those comments, those about the, the fans in Ottawa. 
And three days earlier, mm-hmm. four days earlier, I had sat down with him and his wife and he's just, I just love this city. And so the timing was, 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 you know, uh, f- funny to me because he had really opened up about how much he loves Ottawa. And then, and that, that was to me, that was one of those heat of the moment mm-hmm. situations where he just, you know, he said some things he probably would have a take back. He would, but uh, you know, I, I hope that my piece at least gave a little bit of context and perspective on what he probably really feels like uh, about Ottawa. But, but yeah, the timing was, yeah, the timing was pretty <laughs> funny there. What are the dinner plans? Cause we're going to let you, we're, we're going to release you here. Are you going somewhere? Yeah, You know what? It's, some, somewhere, I don't know. Weird? It's, it's nine o'clock now. I'm honestly, I'm feeling zonked here. And, and I know every, like all the other guys, all the other writers are all kind of in the same boat where we're all just kind of feeling weird. We've all been here for like a day, day and a half, two days or whatever. So I don't know yet. Last night it was just me and Chris Johnson in the lobby bar, uh, having, having hamburgers in Sweden. So <laughs> few, I'd love to tell you few, that we had reindeer or yeah, meatballs or something, something Swedish, but not yet. But yeah, at some point in the next couple of days, I think we're all going to try to get out and have a drink. I don't know if it'll be tonight though. It's the glamorous life of overseas yeah. business travel where you just end up hanging out in a hotel bar yeah. and hanging out in a Marriott. It's yeah. Well, enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Listen, thanks. Thanks for allowing me to be on the Wednesday edition of the athletic hockey you're show. Guys. You're welcome. This is, uh, hey, this is great. The pleasure. Yeah. The, the pleasure is ours. Come back anytime. <laughs> thanks. Ian. All right. Have a good one, guys. Everybody. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mac and do is ready. We got DGB in the building. Is he there? Hi. I'm here. Hi. Hi. What's up, other Sean? Dude, I had an ultimate, ultimate. Say hi to Jesse, too. Miscellaneous, not Sean. (laughs) I have not from Sweden. No. Ultimate other Sean moment over the weekend. I was going to text you about it. Then I realized I could just tell it to you for content on the show. I met Max Boltman's wedding in in Detroit. Ken Daniels comes up to me legendary voice of the red wings right he's he's i sincerely love the red wings game call he's been doing it forever just like like one of the one of the best comes up to me knows who i am knows like he, he's like oh like sean like sean gentilly like good to meet you like and he starts rattling off you know stuff that i've done that he's liked for whatever reason so he's clearly you know i don't i don't know why but he he, he enjoys my work we, we, we go at it for th- for 30 seconds as far as that's concerned. But then it just turned into Mac and do love fest, baby. He was like, you know who I really like is that, <laughs> oh. is, that is that Sean Mac and do you guys, you, know. you guys are, you guys are so funny, but man, he's just like top of the charts. I'm like, yeah, he's, he's people he's, assume that all Sean's know each other. And the weird thing is we do. That's a, they're a hundred percent correct, mm-hmm. but 
what's what's really what's what's really special is when people can catch us like walking next to each other like at at the draft (laughs) yeah they shout down from their hotel rooms hey hello it's 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 often fun because you can see the exact moment in their face (laughs) where they realize that we're actually two different people (laughs) the one has a beard yeah they're like i'm a huge fan of you two collectively but now that (laughs) i realize it's i don't know maybe are, are oh, well. you done? Are you done writing stuff about Hall of Fame weekend? Let's start. I, let's start there. Yeah. The the amount of stuff that you've turned out over the last over the last week. I, I did the wild. Like I I do like the week leading up to Hall of Fame, and mm-hmm. now I'm seeing a bunch of people are doing like the Hall of Fame post week, which I didn't realize was an option. I had an editor <laughs> way back years ago tell me that like nobody reads Hall of Fame stuff. They're like it's death. Nobody nobody reads it, and. I, I will say now what I said to him. I don't care. It's just way too much matter. fun to, I mean, it's it's all the things I love. It's history, it's mm-hmm. hockey, and it's annoying the worst people on the planet <laughs> by telling them that like the third line winger on their favorite team is not actually going to be in the Hall of Fame, even though he did finish 17th in Selkie voting that one time. <laughs> Who are we talking about <laughs> specifically here? Don't talk about Henrik Zetterberg that way, dude. <laughs> it's, you know... You know, when people like see us and they're like, oh, you guys are different. That's me with Henrik Zetterberg and Patrick Eliash. Just yeah. the two of them, like you mush them together, you got a Hall of Famer. But yeah. you are, you you truly are. You've led the crusade against Patrick Eliash. I feel like you and Wachanski are going to have whatever, yeah. a knife yeah. fight over he's, this. He's going to hunt me down. I, I'm, <laughs> I've been against Eliash. I've been against Zetterberg. And the one that really gets me is... I'm I'm now like one of the anti Rod Brindamore people, uh, yeah. And the, uh, the well, the irony there is, ten years ago, I remember I wrote a piece on Marion Hossa, and at the time he had just scored I think his 500th goal, and I wrote a piece about like is Marion Hossa going to be a Hall of Famer? Now we know now that he, you know he did, and you know he went on, he had a couple more good seasons, and uh, and kind of made the question move. But at the time. I said, you know what? I think he's got a strong case, but let's kind of uh, balance it. And one of the things I said in that piece is, yeah, you know, Marion Hossa had 500 goals and he's a good defensive player. How come no one's talking about Rod Brindamore? Mm-hmm. 500 goals, 1,200 points, two Selkies. I feel like I was, I'm not going to say the first, but I was one of the first to say like, you know, he'd been eligible for years by then and you never heard his name. Like when people would write like, here's the guys who might go in the hallway and they list 20 guys. And Rod Brindamore wouldn't be there. And I was like, I feel like we're sleeping on, you know, if we're going to reward defensive play and all this, how come we're not here? And slowly but surely from there, it built up uh, to the point where now you've got people who are like, it's an outrage that Rod Brindamore is not. And I'm like, well, uh, hold on. So I don't know if it's like, I don't know if this is a Frankenstein's monster thing mm-hmm. or if I just went like full WWE heel turn on the Rod Brindamore Hall of Fame candidacy. But uh, it's, I, I feel like I had a small hand in starting this little snowball rolling down the hill. And now I'm like trying to warn the villagers that it's the avalanche is coming. <laughs> right. You, you started the Brindamore hall of fame bandwagon and then realized yeah. it was moving way too fast and just jumped off. Exactly. I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying two things and both of these things are true. Rob Brindamore should not be in the hall of fame. And if he does make the hall of fame, he better thank me in his speech because I'm, I will take full credit for being the reason he's there. I think he's going to get in now. Like I've, I've fully pivoted. The coaching helps, right? Like yes. it's not supposed to, but it does like it, anything that keeps you front and center 
keeps you well-regarded, not, not, not anything that keeps you front and center, but anything that positive that keeps you front and center and well-regarded is going to help. I, I think he's, he's got a better than average, even though like if Eric was here, he'd be like, Hey, you're not allowed mm-hmm. to consider the playing career and the post-playing career, but people do. I think Keith Kachuk's odds are getting better. The Absolutely. better his kids do. Because we get all these like fun, fun dad shots in the crowd. A hundred, a thousand percent. We had, we had a discussion when I think you and I did, when we were doing the mock induction exercise, like Mm -hmm. six months ago or or nine months ago, from year to year, the regard that our group of 15 people or or however many it is, like he leveled up with us, right? Like you have people, like people talking about, which is like, time out and i'm not even saying he should or, or or shouldn't be in you know with any real degree of certitude but something has happened over the last year or two with uh with kachuk where it's just like and it's there's no other way to look at it and say that you know matthew's out there getting shouted out by charles barkley yep. and brady's doing the, the 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 funny little brother you know beers in the pocket stuff over the last couple years and that's like that's and, that's that's goosed him up. He's got two more votes because it's absolutely the case. Every time it's anybody wants to write a piece on the brothers, you yep. you always got it. Suddenly the dad stories are in there, and every mm-hmm. broadcaster's like talking about you know, and they're giving his nicknames and talking about stories and everything. And then you look at the numbers and you go, yeah, actually, mm-hmm. pretty good case there. You know, it's so. I think he's getting in. Is that the what's the next log jam to be cleared? Because because it it seems like we just jump from one to the other. Where this was a goalie yeah. year, we have you know Ver, Ver, Vernon and and and, and Barrasso and and so on. You know, finally getting having that particular wrong righted. Is there going to be some other corrective action? Like what's what's ne- what's next there? I mean, you could argue that there's still a bit of a log jam with goalies, but certainly and and I'm really interested to see in the next year or two whether this year is was that the door being kicked open and now mm-hmm. like a Curtis Joseph or somebody like that can get in is it easier for Ryan Miller, Pecorine, maybe Tuka Rask, like guys like that um or was this like the committee going okay here's your one for the decade yep. and now we're going to go back to being super weird on goalies i mean the the <laughs> log jams really are um you know Depending on how this year goes, we we might be looking at a Russian logjam. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly on the women's side, I, I I don't know anybody that I talk to about this who doesn't think it's ridiculous that they never put in the maximum two women that they're allowed to put in. So, I mean, I, I think you've got it there. The other one for me, and you guys can tell me what you think on this. Do you find it weird how rare it is for coaches to get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, we just had Ken Hitchcock go in. So maybe, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's the wrong time to but man, there are some good coaches that just you know, it it feels to me like in other sports that the coaches, you know, the really well-regarded coaches, managers in baseball tend to get in more often. Whereas in hockey, you got guys that just unless you're right at the very, very top with a bunch of cup rings and wins and all that, I don't know. It's because none of them I stay retired for, none of them stay retired long enough to <laughs> To make Maybe to make it on it. the ballot, right? Like yeah. Hitchcock could have been in fifteen years ago, but then he then he he hung around so long that it. That, that we've it had got, like we've had players as Hall of Famers get in. We've got you know we've had GMs who were active. We have a certain commissioner who put himself in. Well, he didn't put himself in, but who got into the Hall of Fame <laughs> when he was still working away. I mean, that's it, it. It doesn't seem to bother too many people. I mean, why not? Uh, why not have uh, an active Hall of Fame coach? That, 
that could be cool. We got a great th- a great comment from. Oh, go, go, go ahead, Justin. No, no, oh, I was no, just gonna no, say. I think I think with coaches, like you mentioned, like the top top tier, they stay in the memory. But I feel like the just the very good coaches who are like borderline Hall of Fame when they aren't coaching anymore, the, they don't have the you don't have the like highlight memories of them like mm-hmm. you do the players right like the players live in your memory because you can remember all those plays they made whereas the coach like in the moment you love him and you appreciate how good he is but then when he kind of when he disappears from the front of the stage there aren't those yeah. memories of him so Especially like since the, you don't see as many guys go into the media in hockey for whatever reason right. like football every ex-coach mm-hmm. goes in you know to a booth somewhere i'll give you two guys so that i'm i'm, I'm banging the drum on as hall of fame coaches in the builder category that I do have like memorable moments of one that I think he's got the resume, but not the personality is Mike Keenan. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a thing. One of the things I wrote last week, I talked about the first 10 years of Mike Keenan's career in the NHL and how insanely successful he was. He was winning president's trophy, going to the Stanley cup final every year, Rangers drought coach team Canada. in that Epic 87, like, I mean, this guy absolutely had the resume and then, you know, he, when he became a GM, maybe not so much. Because well, you, you listed the resume like blind listed it yeah. in, in, in one of your pieces last yes. week. And it, it really is, man. It's overwhelming. If you don't know that that guy is one of just one of the most legendary, you know, jerks in the recent history yeah. of, of the league. He's a huge You're, jerk. You, yeah. His players don't like him. Uh, yeah, a couple of them do, but a lot of them don't. He was a terrible GM. So you've got mm-hmm. all these things. And that like helps, right? When you have a fan base that's like, put this guy in. I mean, you put Mike Keenan in there, like Vancouver fans are going to be like, no, get him out. Yep. So. The other guy, Jacques Demer. Jacques Demers, the only guy to win back-to-back coach of the year and the last guy to win a Stanley Cup in Montreal and in Canada. Um, a guy who had a ton of success, uh, took some pretty bad Detroit teams to a higher level. I'd love to see him get into it. That's a good, that's a good call. We got a really good comment from Adrian E, by the way, in the that just came through on StreamYard. Uh, they're bringing up the 2003 draft. Which is yeah. we are fast approaching that point as the next kind of the greatest draft the ever next bottleneck because those guys are old. Many, those guys are old or done. Is it going to be a? Is it going to be a bottleneck or that's are my, we going to look back? Question. That's my question for you. Like, yeah. like is that that great as that draft was? Like, how many Hall of Famers are we are we talking about here? Like, we're going to have Patrice Bergeron's getting in mm-hmm. in three years. Shea Weber probably gets in this year I, I think is his first year or, sorry next summer so he's mm-hmm. the next class um he gets in i think mark andre fleury at this point is a lock he's in from there for the greatest draft ever there it's like a who's who of hall of fame borderline cases i have a, the I, Corey perry yep ryan gets left those two uh, joe pavelski way deep Carter. in that draft eric Stahl. Right. Like, I mean, just all of these guys who are right around, you, you know, you wouldn't Ryan Suter. You wouldn't hate it if they got in Brent Burns, but you also would be kind of like, oh, you know, who there is. And, and I know there's people who would say even like Flurry and Shea mm-hmm. Weber shouldn't be a slam dog. I don't I think at this point, I don't think there's anyone left on Patrice Bergeron, you know, trying to argue, like even if you're small hall. But. I mean, for when you consider the other drafts that get called greatest ever, where you look back like you know the double cohort in the seventies and mm-hmm. that, where there's like four, five, six, like top tier Hall of Fame guys in them, it's going to be a weird one. Corey Crawford's an interesting case because I guarantee you he's. Yeah. I, I do. I, is he in my Hall of Fame? No, but I think he's going to have. Th- that's a dude that ten years from now, 
we're going to have, or 15 years from now, we're going to have the exact same conversation that we just had about Mike Vernon and in the, in the, in the conversations we've had about Chris Osgood over the years. We're just going to repeat that with, uh, with Corey Crawford. And there's going to be a week year where there's like not a lot of slam dunk first year eligibles. And people are like, yeah, sure. But put them in there. Can you imagine if he gets in before Chris Osgood? Dude. And that fires that Red Wings, Blackhawks, old school Norris rivalry just fires right back up again. That'd be a beautiful thing. Or Cujo. He, or, or Cujo, too. Cujo should be in. He should be in. Cujo yeah. was at 450 wins. He didn't win a cup, but he was he was in the conversation, best goalie in the league. And, oh. and you know, didn't win Vezinas, but he was in the, the Broder, Wa, Eddie Belfour era. Hashik. Like, yeah, yeah The end of Hashik, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he absolutely, and, you know, I'm saying that partly as a Toronto fan because he came in and single-handedly turned that team around. But even before then, like, um, his, his Edmonton years, St. Mm-hmm. Louis years, he almost single-handedly mm-hmm. got the, uh, the blues into the conference final in 93. We all remember the save against the stars in game seven overtime guys. That guy to me is a hall of famer. I'm I'm, I would have had him in ahead of certainly Vernon, probably Barrasso, mm-hmm. uh, not Lundquist, but you know, I think he's, he, he should be there too. Well, the world was so much smaller when he, when he played, um, but I was still as a little kid, as like a middle school kid in Pittsburgh without, you know, whatever. Te- when I was 10, I knew how good Curtis Joseph yeah. was. And there and, and there wasn't there wasn't Internet. There was there was no like connectivity that we see where we're just like bombarded with, mm-hmm. you know, pro and highlight arguments. Real guy. I cool knew that mask, t- cool nickname, right, the, ma- the mask and the nickname. That, yep. Makes yeah, him a legend. Dude, I knew that dude was good because I watched SportsCenter every night and I saw him and I saw his ass on it night mm-hmm. after night after night in the top 10 or whatever. And there is some kind of like intangible quality to that, <laughs> especially when you're talking about, you know, guys, guys from the nineties or earlier where you're like, yeah, you know what? The guy, the, the guy was cool. He was famous. He was, he was, yeah. he was on ESPN in the States or whatever. Like put him There's in. There's no right? worse argument than I know a hall of famer when I see one, but mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. And Curtis Joseph back then, was like, you know, Alexander McGillney, guys like that. You're like, yeah, watch, watch that guy. He's probably going to be yep. in the Hall of Fame someday. If you were in fifth grade and terrified of your team running into a goaltender, that's, I feel like you should probably, I feel like you should put the guy in. I think that's a good rule. I love it. That's the guy. <laughs> I can't and wait. Ron Hextel, who terrified me for a different reason, but could also be. He's, t- he's terrified me on so many different fronts over the years. Let me tell <laughs> you, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, did you invent something else, by the way, last week? We're talking about. Yeah. The- what is like I we're I haven't even read it yet. Red arrow I, index. Red, red, arrow index. The red arrow index. <laughs> yeah. This is it's it's a super complicated uh new uh analytical tool that I came up with mm-hmm. that is basically just uh how many red arrows does a team have on their cap friendly page? And of course the red arrow being when the contract is too long to fit on the page, and so it's like the little you know, you gotta keep scrolling. How many times does it show up? And I just wanted to know, like it, it and it was very interesting to me because uh, it's not, it's not something where having a high score or a low score is better or worse or it's, it's kind of the context, but like, it really surprised me that Vegas is one of three teams that has no red arrows, Seattle and Arizona being the other two Seattle, Arizona, I would have guessed Vegas, no way they've had them in the past, but, but not any. And yeah, I won't, I won't even give it away, but I was trying to figure out as I was doing this, who was going to have the most. And I found six red arrows on the Tampa Bay Lightning page, which is pretty ridiculous considering it doesn't even include any of their, their bit. Like it's not Kucherov, not Vasilevsky, not Hedman. It's Nick Paul and guys like that. But then I was like, you know what? Hey, man, two Stanley Cups, flags fly forever. That earns you some loyalty. 
And then I found that there's one team that's even ahead of them, and I'm not going to spoil it for people, but check out there. It's it's worth the payoff to find out which team has I'm got gonna, even more. I'm not I'm not going to spoil it either, but I'm but I'm going to say that I. I learned this about this particular team when we were writing season previews and had forgotten it. Yeah. So when I scrolled down, it like shocked and, me anew. I guess all my comments are people who this. it's all my comments are people like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it, I can't believe. It. And then like, I'm a fan of the team. I absolutely knew it was going to be us. We were well aware. Thank you. Thanks buddy. This was good. I'm in Raleigh right, by the way right now. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Rod tomorrow and you know, whatever. Let him know. I'm, I'm, I'm let him know i'm uh, do, you know let him know the good part of that story yeah i'm the, the guy ta- he has to thank the, and the, tell the, him not to google of- his name and my name together at all just wait until you get inducted in a couple years and then yeah. thank the right exactly. people but i mean i'd be fine if he's mad at me he seems like a chill guy like, i don't Dude, think it, i can't wait till i can't wait till brendan Moore gets up to the podium and thanks and thanks uh the good the good sean from the yeah. athletic that thanks sean gentilly or whichever one it was <laughs> i don't know <laughs> thanks buddy all right guys thanks I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Jess, we're almost done. We're having the three-on-three discussion. We're at that point in the calendar here. That's what we're doing. Yeah, the GMs talked about it again. So, I mean, if they're talking about it, we should probably be talking about it. I don't hate the idea of the over and back. Like, what do you mm-hmm. like? I, I, I think getting rid of offsides altogether doesn't fix much because these guys aren't going. We're not having plays disrupted because they're offsides. I don't think it's going to and and you aren't going to see cherry picking where a guy's just hanging out down on the other end because there's no offside. I I don't mind the over and back and I think there could be some benefits to it that you can't mm-hmm. just reload and reset every time. What do you think? 
Dude, it, I every year going whatever this is, I will say year three since it's really started, since the quality of playing OT has really started to nosedive. Every time we start a new schedule, I'm like, how much worse can it get? And like, they find new ways. It, it is completely unwatchable. I'm in favor of anything that counts as like a meaningful change. I'm also of the mindset, and this is something that Matt can do specifically, and, and I have, have talked about in, in, in a lot of different capacities, including like the rules court posts uh, that, that we do every now and then. Do whatever you want to overtime. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Over and back, shot clock, you know, uh, like do a, a bidding system where you tell where one coach says I can score a goal or my team can score, score a goal in three, like whatever, which is something somebody actually suggested to us. Love it. Because what we're seeing is not representative of real hockey in any way at all. Even if it's real competitive three on three hockey where you're not just like reloading and, and whatever else, even that, even that's like, you know, bastardized enough for, for me not to take it seriously. So figure it out. I don't care what it is. Bells, clocks, buzzers, like whatever. What do about, some, do something what about, else. Cause this sucks ass to watch. It's awful. What about incentive? Like in terms, instead of changing the, the rules of overtime, just changing the out, like it's three points for a win. And if you don't score in overtime, it's a tie. There is no shootout, and it's one point. If you make wins three points and you make ties one point, I think teams would try a lot harder for that win because it means so much more rather than just kind of, eh, we're just going to hold this thing. We're not going to get scored on, and eventually we'll get our we'll get our point. Dude, I would rather just go to the shootout after after the third period of a tied game at this point. Like it's it's pointless it's a waste of everybody's time including including the dudes on the, on the ice so change whatever you can because what we're seeing right now is uh is painful yeah just is there any other is there can you find a fun note to to leave on what do you watch or what uh, game are you watching tonight i i mean there's i haven't looked at the schedule tonight so that's mm-hmm. gonna be tough okay. but i think that the the tage thompson injury is not exactly yes. an up note but if mm-hmm. you want to lift the mood from that, we can only go up. So let's talk about Tage Thompson being hurt and Alex Ovechkin being old. Um, which one? Oh which one God. sounds That's more funny. fun to you, Ovi? I watched Ovechkin last night against against the Golden Knights, and and it was a good game for the Capitals. They mm-hmm. win three nothing. Capitals were probably one of their better results of the season, and yet in a game where they were good. And they had a ton of power play time because the Golden Knights had a five minute major at one point. They had, I think, three other two minute power plays. So you tell me, OK, Capitals win three nothing. They were great. And they were on the power play for a third of the game. Ovechkin had to have a good night, right? He was invisible. I did not notice Alex Ovechkin in the entire game, except for when there was an empty net and he had a chance to score and he fell down. Um, it literally would have been a goal if he just wouldn't have fallen down skating on his own with that. nobody touching him. It's painful. Their power play, I look at the I look at the stats and I go, wow, Washington's power play is 7.9% on mm-hmm. the season. There's no way that's accurate. There had to have been a mistake in the calculations. And then I watched them on a five-minute power play because of a major. I don't think they had a dangerous opportunity in that five minutes or in the other six minutes of the other power plays. The Capitals' power play is so bad right now. And Austin. that's... I mean, it, it hasn't been this amazingly, like high octane power play that passes around. They basically have just given it to Ovi and he scores. And that's why it's been good for so long. And now suddenly he isn't and the power play is terrible. So I Mm -hmm. don't, I mean, I don't know if it's too early to say like, 
we've been saying Father Time's going to catch up to him forever, and it never did. And then now I feel like we finally flipped the page and said, okay, well, maybe he'll never get old and he'll just score mm-hmm. forever. And now he is looking a little older. Like, do you think he's do you think he's old? I've said this on on our show on the on the Thursday show. Um, the end can come quick. We've seen it happen with elite players time and time again. It happened to guys, and we're, if even if you just limit the discussion to Hall of Fame ultra elite players, it happens quick, man. Joe Sackick is, is is the one is the one that always comes to mind. He was high end, maybe not MVP caliber, but still putting up points by the bucket load. And then it was like, that was it gone. Yep. I Iserman Iserman was a really, really effective player until late in, late into his career. Maybe not the, obviously not the guy he was when he was 26, but he was really good until he wasn't. And we need to, you know, explore the possibility that that's what we're watching with, with Alex Ovechkin. It's certainly true of, of the rest of the capitals. That seems, that seems not, it, it, it's, they're not, they're not relevant. And it's weird. It's weird to live in a world where you're just like, okay, this is, you know, just another game on the schedule or, or when, whenever we're flipping through channels, trying to j- trying to figure out what games to watch. Right. They're, they were musty TV for the last right. uh, 20 years almost. And ain't the case anymore. Painful, painful stuff. That's, that's as depressing as anything else we've talked about. My goodness. I know I tried to raise it and I, I just know. didn't. I mean, you, 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 you wanted to raise and I, all the topics that could Dude. go through my head were just, I don't know if this is indicative of me or or what, but it's, no, I should have just think of a positive one. No, I, I mean, it's you did a better job than me. I put you on the spot and asked you to pick a game that you were watching when we don't even know what the schedule is. Ducks abs, let's go, elite Western Conference teams. <laughs> How about Horvat going back to Vancouver? I think he's gonna get booed a little bit. Uh, Vancouver fans are as rational and level-headed as they come. I, I think they have thought this through and they know what Borvet has done for that. No, I, I, I think they're going to boo the shit out of him. I just love, I love Yannick Hansen being like, just in case nobody wasn't, in case, in case anybody was like not on board yet, in case there are Canucks fans out there who are like, you know, maybe, maybe just let him go. Yannick Hansen's like, no, give them both the, barrels. The, the fact that they, score on like half the shots on goal and Thatcher Demko is the best goal in the league, I think takes a little bit of the sting out of it, right? Like if they were struggling right now, there's going to be a lot more vitriol in that arena. The fact that nothing is going wrong for the Canucks right now, it seems like every shot they fire at the net is finding the back of the net. It seems like Demko, there isn't a a shot he can't save. Mm -hmm. That team is unreal right now who knows how long that'll last probably not super long i think they're better than we thought they were going to be i don't think they're as good as they are right now but i do think that that great start is gonna help bo horvat's return be a little friendlier for him i picked him to make the playoffs i was i was on it from the start i I picked them to make the playoffs and i picked rick tockett to win the jack adams looking solid give me give me credit i demand credit You, you i'll give it all to you it's i didn't have him i didn't have him making the playoffs. I, I did think they'd be better. And I, I think the Pacific is so much fun. We talked about the ducks earlier. We're talking about the Canucks. Now um, you obviously have Vegas Edmonton. I still think is going to come around and be a legitimate like option mm-hmm. to make the playoffs in that. Too. I, 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 I think they're going to come around at some point. That division is the race in that division is good. You're good. I'm up that. You're a good dude. <laughs> like I said, you too. Thanks for doing this, bud. Oh, yeah, reminder, reminder, by the way, if you have mailbag questions, folks, you can send them to the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. 
If you want to give us a call and leave a voicemail, 845-445-8459. That's 845-445-8459. And thank you for listening. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating, leave a review. We'd really, really, really appreciate it. And you can follow us on YouTube. YouTube.com slash at The Athletic Hockey Show. That is an actual at sign, The Athletic Hockey Show. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Somebody will. Somebody in Sweden? Who knows? <laughs>